Well, good morning. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I'll be in the back after the service. If you're not new, I'd love to connect and just see how we can help and further your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our, our goal this morning as we continue in this series, looking in the book of 1 Peter at this series called The Living Hope. And if you weren't here last week, we kicked off this series talking about how important hope is and how important it was for Peter's audience because they were a people going through suffering. We talked about that phrase, elect exiles, that they were a people that were displaced from their home. And as we continue on in this study, we're going to see the perseverance that they have to uh, go through and grab hold of. Because of the suffering they are experiencing, because of the persecution, the trials they are experiencing over and over and again, they're looking to this living hope that we have in Jesus. And the reason hope is so important for us is that we also experience suffering. You see it in our culture that no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, that everyone knows that something's off, don't they? I mean, you just look at the news this week, you think about the death of David Bowie and then a few other deaths of famous people just this week in the news and you begin to see online and you begin to see celebrities respond to this and you could just tell there was one common thread with all of them and it's they were searching. They were searching with some positive thoughts like, well, he's in a better place now, whether they know that or not. That his legacy, his movies, his quotes, his songs. I mean, they were so great. And we begin to talk about the legacy. We begin to talk about the perseverance of the human spirit and say things like that. And on and on it goes. And people are, are searching for something in the midst of suffering. But what we're going to see this morning in our passage is that we have way more than just a positive thought. We have way more than the perseverance of the human spirit that we have, if you know Jesus Christ, that we have a living hope. And some of you this morning, you walk in here, maybe you're in the midst of suffering, maybe you just came out of it, maybe you're about to go in it, and you wonder, what's the big deal about hope? Why do we keep talking about hope? How does that affect my suffering? When I was in high school, I worked at Target, the store Target. And one of my main responsibilities was to bring in the shopping carts. Don't be jealous. And I grew up in Texas, and so it's hot in Arizona. It's hot in Texas with humidity. And so summers, I was bringing in about 30 shopping carts at one time, this train of shopping carts, just jerking them around, getting them inside the store. And for whatever reason, people don't know how to put shopping carts in the corral. I don't know if you've noticed this. Maybe you do this, watching you. But people don't know how to put shopping carts in the corral. What they do, apparently, in my mind, as I imagined, is they push the shopping cart as far as they can down the road or down the parking lot and just see where it ends up. Like it's a fun game, right? After you shop at Target. And so I would go find these shopping carts in the Texas heat. They would be turned upside down. Some of them would be on the, the little median. Some of them would be smashed between two cars. Some of them would be way across at the furthest point of the parking lot. And it was miserable. It was a struggle. And I worked that job for two years. And it was miserable. And it was a struggle. 
But then my senior year of high school, something changed, and it's this, that my parents, for whatever reason that I, I don't fully understand now, let me plan a trip to Panama City Beach, Florida, with four of my friends. So I knew after my senior year that I was going to go to Panama City Beach, Florida, with four of my friends in my two-door Jeep Cherokee. And I began to look forward to that. I knew after that trip that I was done with Target and I was off to college, the promised land. So they, they approved this trip. I knew I was done with Target at the end of this trip. And I knew I was off to college at the end. And I would be done with these stinking shopping carts. Well, what happened? Things began to change. Now, my job didn't change. I still worked at Target. I still was the shopping cart guy. But I had some pep in my step, right? I mean, I began to hum songs as I was pushing these carts down the parking lot. As I would jerk them into the door, I began to greet people as they walked into Target. I smiled as I was pushing these shopping carts in. I had some pep in my step because I had something to look forward to. You see, what changed? My, my job didn't change. I still was doing the same thing. It still wasn't a lot of fun. But I knew what awaited me at the end. And I could look forward to that hope, and it changed my present suffering. Do you see it? That in Jesus Christ, that we have a hope a future hope, an eternal hope that changes our present suffering, whatever it is for you, that that's what we're diving into this morning. The big idea that I want you to see as we dig into this is that in Jesus, we have a future hope that changes our present suffering and was the plan from the beginning. That in Jesus we have a future hope that changes our present suffering and was the plan from the beginning. If you grasp that this morning, if you grasp that during the series, you will have hope beyond despair. That's why hope is so important in the Christian life. We're going to unpack that phrase, that big idea, the rest of our time this morning. And as you look at it, as you look at that passage that Zach read, verses 3 through 12, there's a ton in there. In the original language, it's one long run-on sentence. It's the idea that Peter has a sense of excitement as he writes this letter. As he pens these words, there's a sense of wow, of him being overwhelmed as he looks at the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And he can't stop. He can't stop writing. He doesn't want to pause and put a period that this is truth that's overwhelming him. And listen, as you read this, we're going to go through some points. We're going to make it concise for you. But I want you to listen and gaze upon this hope and be just as overwhelmed as Peter was. Because there's a lot in here. He begins it with praise. You look at verse 3. Look at the verse. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed means praise. That it's a celebration of God, of who he is and what he has done. If you're not a Christian, if you would say, I don't know Jesus, I haven't placed my faith in Jesus, but you came here today, I'm so glad you're here. But as you sit there, I would guess that there's something inside of you, maybe it's something you've heard, maybe it's a bad experience along the way, but something in you tells you that this 
Christianity, this God, this Bible, this church, that it's about God gives us some rules to follow, some behaviors to modify, and that we work really hard on that, and that at some point God will accept us. Maybe you've never said that out loud, but maybe subconsciously, when you think about church, when you think about God, when you think about the Bible, that's what comes to your mind. Listen, what you need to see even in this first verse, verse 3, is that it doesn't start with that. It doesn't start with you. It starts with God. Look at the verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That it doesn't start with us doing things. It starts with praising God for what he has already done. That's why we just sang songs. That's why we sing songs in church. Maybe you're new to church and you've always wondered, like, why do they sing so much? Like, why do they raise their hands? Like, does everybody have a question? And maybe you're new to this thing and you're wondering, like, why, why stand, sing? Why do we do that so much? It's because it's a celebration that Christianity, no matter what you've heard about it, that at its core, it's not about what you do. It's first about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's why we sing. That's why BJ and, and the band, they're inviting you to, to stand and sing. That Because however you walk in here, whatever trial you are experiencing, that you can say with Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a celebration not because of what we do, but because of what has already been done for us through Christ. Do you see that? It's a celebration. The first reason that we have to celebrate in verse 3 is that according to, because of his great mercy, the great mercy of God, he has caused us to be born again. You see that phrase, born again, maybe some of you kind of twitch when you hear that because you think of a televangelist. You think of a camp you went to when you were little, and you need to be born again. They always have a country accent when they say that for some reason. Maybe you hear that phrase, and you're not really sure what that actually means. Well, you know, need to know that Jesus also uses that language in John 3, because in our first birth, when you're born into the world, we believe that you're born into sin, that you're born into sin and that you're separated from a holy God. But in the second birth, when you're born again, that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you give your life to Jesus Christ, his life, his perfect life on your behalf, his death, the atonement for your sin, that those sins are wiped away and that he rises again in victory. And as you believe in him, you are born again. It's not that some things change about your behavior. It's not that you tweak some things or find a new hobby that's called Christianity. Your whole life, your whole identity is reshaped. That's why this language is so important of born again. And look at the verse. It says that we are born again to a living hope. It's the title of the series, a living hope, that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Why is it a living hope? It's a living hope because Jesus is alive. It's a living hope because we worship, we serve a risen Savior. 
It's a living hope because we have a living God. Amen? He's alive. It's a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And listen, this isn't something we just celebrate on Easter. This is the hope of our faith. That every day we have a a living hope because we have a living God who beat death. Do you see that? That we're born into that. And that reshapes our identity. That transforms your life and it transforms your suffering. Sometimes we talk so much about the death of Jesus, which is incredibly important. And I'm guilty of this even when I preach. But we forget about the victory of Jesus in the resurrection. And we don't need to just cling to that hope on Easter. We need to cling to that hope every single day. That Jesus lived, that he did die, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And we have a living hope because of that. It's interesting, it doesn't say that we get this hope. Look at the verse. It doesn't say you get a living hope. It uses that language intentionally, that we're born into it. That we're born into it, that we're born into this hope, that it completely reshapes, transforms everything. It's intentional language there that we're born again into this living hope. But because before Jesus, we're without hope. And and some of you are are thinking, well, I know people who don't believe in Jesus, and they seem happy. I mean, they seem like they have some hope. They're not walking around sad all the time. I mean, in fact, some of them seem really successful. They're doing well in their job. They get straight A's in school. They seem happy, and I know they don't know Jesus. Well, when you look at other people and the happiness or the the false hope that they may have, it's usually based on some positive thoughts like we talked about earlier. It's usually based on some ideas that through our serving, through our good deeds, through the next presidential candidate, that maybe we can make some things better, and we're searching for this utopia that maybe we can build if we all band together we're better together right there's a lot of sayings like that that people can put positive thoughts in and they can have some hope because of that some people they don't care about hope because they believe that it's all going to burn in the end anyway so why does it matter (laughs) those are always fun people to hang out with right so some people have positive thoughts some people have beliefs that that maybe direct them to a, a different kind of hope. Some people have dreams that we can have this utopia, but we really don't know hope, not real hope, not as we see in this passage, unless we know Jesus, unless we know the living hope. That that hope doesn't just put a smile on your face. That that hope doesn't just help you have a good day at work or make a good grade in your class. That this hope changes everything. That it changes your future. Look at verse Four. Verse 4 says, we receive an inheritance. Peter is saying that we have a future hope because we are heirs. That only children receive an inheritance. And that through faith in Jesus, you are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. And that you become heirs. You have an inheritance kept in heaven for you. As we look at that inheritance, verses 4 and 5 tells us a few things about it. Look at the verse. It says, it's imperishable, meaning it's untouched by death. It's undefiled, meaning it's not tainted with evil. It's unfading. It's not impaired by time. 
that that's the inheritance you have as a son and daughter of the Most High God, that that future hope, it changes everything. And it's a stark contrast from our inheritance on the earth. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 6. He talks about the treasures on earth that we value. They can, they can lose their value. They can rust. They can even be destroyed. And, and some of you, as you think about it, you, you know that to be true, that success, that approval, that finances, whatever inheritance on the earth that you are chasing, eventually it will fade, won't it? I mean, for some of you, you had those things at one point in your life. You had the success. You had the finances. You had the career. You had all of those things. But eventually, it faded. It didn't last. Because as Jesus says in Matthew 6, that those things will, will lose value. They can rust. They can be destroyed. That means that the newest gadget that you're most excited about today, in the end, is going to be in a dump somewhere, right? And so that however the geniuses of Apple continue to reform the iPhone, and one day we have the iPhone 89, and it can drive your car for you, that still that is going to end up in a dump. And then a few months later, they're, they're going to release an iPhone 89 Plus, that's a little bit bigger, and still that one is going to end up in a dump, no matter how awesome it may be. Do you see it? That we have other hopes, we have positive thoughts, we have legacies that we can talk about, the perseverance of the human spirit, but all of these things in the end will fade. That we have success, we have approval, we have career, all of those things in the end will fade. They won't last. But we have an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. Now, as I say that, does that mean you don't work hard? Does that mean you don't build into friendships and relationships? Does that mean you don't save finances? Does that mean you don't steward your finances? Well, absolutely not. We're about to start a class that we want you to be a part of next week called Financial Peace University. We're going to talk about just that. How are we good stewards of the things we've been given? So it's very important. It's just not our ultimate hope that we have an inheritance kept in heaven, that it's secure, verses 4 and 5 tell us. That it's kept for us, that it's being guarded, we are being guarded as, as God's people for a salvation revealed in the last day, that this isn't the end. Do you believe that? The hope that we see in Scripture, that this isn't the end. That while we have suffering, that this isn't the end, that at some point Jesus is going to return. And all things will be made right. John 17, Jesus himself says that this is eternal life, that you would know God the Father, and you would know his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That we're going to know Jesus forever, that this isn't the end. Last weekend, I was in Tucson with my family for the first time since we've been in Arizona, and we were at the Sororo National Park. Say that three times fast. They said, act like you're saying tomorrow. And it kind of works, I think. Sawaro, Sawaro. There we go. Um, we were at this national park. I'm not going to say it again. We were at this unnamed national park in Tucson. And we watched this slideshow. They have a slideshow that runs every 15 minutes. You go in the room. And so we went down and sat as a family. And I had my six-year-old daughter sitting next to me. And we watched this slideshow of the cactus and all those things. And it was very beautiful. And at some point in the slideshow, they begin to talk about the afterlife. Not really sure how that coincides with cactus, but I just ran with it. 
and we watched about the afterlife, and, and they began to talk about how there's, there's an afterlife that's in these um, cacti. And that, in fact, if you look, if the sun is setting just right, and you look and you see the cactus, you might see a person. And that they'll speak to you. And that the reason we take good, good care of this land is because our ancestors are in this land. And I'm watching this with my six-year-old daughter. And as they begin to tie in these things about the afterlife, I just begin to lean over, over and over to my six-year-old daughter and whisper, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not true. <laughs> and eventually she was like, okay, daddy, I know. <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure she knew because, listen, I like Lion King, but we do not believe in the circle of life. That's not what we believe. We believe that we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us that's unfading, that's imperishable. Do you believe that? That we don't just believe some nice thoughts about we look at some cacti and hope and, and have some good feelings. No, we believe that Jesus is guarding for a time in the last day a salvation to be revealed. That if you know him, that you will spend eternity loving him, worshiping him, and all things will be made right. That that's our hope. And listen, as you talk about that inheritance, as we look at that in this text, maybe some of you are thinking, well, what's that going to be like? Like a pot of gold? <laughs> like Powerball? We're all going to win the lottery? And listen, I, I don't know what that's going to be like. But I do know this. I do know that we'll be with Jesus, and he'll be enough. And that whatever else we get is a bonus. That we'll be with Jesus. And Revelation 21 tells us that there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. And there will be no more death. That's an inheritance you want to chase after. That's an inheritance you want to fix your eyes on. Specifically in the midst of your suffering. That this isn't the end. Do you hope in that? Does that future hope, that some of you in here, I know you say you believe that, does that future hope affect your present suffering? This text tells us it does. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us we can rejoice in this. That word this is referencing this future hope that we just spent these last few minutes talking about, that Peter lays out for us, that we can rejoice in this, this future hope, even in the midst of trials. How does that happen? Some of you are in the midst of trials, and the last thing you're thinking about is rejoicing. So how do we do that? What Peter is getting at is that you're not rejoicing over the trial itself, but over the result of the trial. That Scripture talks about in a healthy way that we should grieve, that we should lament. There's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations of lamenting, of mourning, if you're in the midst of a trial, if you just experienced a trial, it's okay to lament. It's a good, godly, and right thing to do, that we mourn with those who mourn. And so we're not rejoicing over the trial itself. That's a key distinction we need to make. We are rejoicing over the result of the trial. Verse 7 helps us out with that by comparing our faith to gold. You see this illustration that Peter gives. 
that as the gold is heated by fire, it causes impurities to burn off. And as a result, the gold becomes more precious, more valuable. In the same way, God allows trials in your life to burn away those impurities, to refine your faith so that at the end of the day, it's more genuine than it was before, that it's stronger than it was before. We talked about this last week, that in your trials, in the midst of your trials, God hasn't forgotten you. He's forming you. In this case, Peter's talking about he's forming your faith, that it proves it to be genuine as you go through these trials. And so I want to talk about that just for a moment practically, what that looks like. That in our lives, all of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you have financial security. There have been moments in your life where you've had some financial security. Like maybe you have to think about one moment or one day where that happened, but some of you have, have experienced this. You've had financial security in your life. And it never fails, honestly, even if it only lasts for a day or a few months or a few years, in that financial security, eventually you begin to get a little bit more bold with your finances. You begin to get a little bit more confident with your finances. You take joy in your finances. And over time, what we can do is we can end up placing our faith in financial security. That all of us, at some point in our lives, we've received acceptance from others. You've received approval from others. Maybe some friends have pursued you, sought after you, invited you to things, affirmed you, told, told you nice things about you. And you had those times and, and you began to step back and be like, well, this is, this is really nice. And you have that approval from others. Not a bad thing, financial security, not a bad thing, but you, you have these seasons where you have this. And over time, if you're honest, you begin to place your faith, faith in the approval of others. That all of us have had moments where we're successful, where we're killing it in school, where we get the promotion, where we get the raise at work, where our relationships are going well. We've at least had those moments. And in those moments, it's so easy for us to take our faith in Jesus and put it in lesser things, isn't it? That we all have times and cycles where we do that. And so what inevitably happens? Various trials pop up. Like you get rejected by some of those friends that said they loved you. You lose that job that you got the raise in just a year ago and it surprises you. You have health problems. You fail a class. You have relational conflict. But if you know Jesus, you experience the truth that Jesus is still with you. That though your circumstances have changed, Jesus has not. And it's in those moments, and you've experienced these moments, if you know Jesus, where you realize, my faith is not in those things. My faith is only in Jesus Christ. That everything else will fail and fade, but Jesus will be faithful. And you've experienced those moments, and that's what God is doing in trials. He's burning away the impurities of your faith. He's showing you have a genuine faith that's more valuable than gold. Verses 8 and 9, Peter describes how the people he is writing to are living this out. It says they are clinging to Jesus as they love him, believe in him, and rejoice in him in, in ways that are inexpressible. Literally, that means unutterable. 
that they are enjoying Jesus because of the results of this trial, that they have a faith more precious, more valuable than gold. They are enjoying Jesus. They can't even voice it. They're speechless. It's beyond words. Their joy in Jesus. They're living this out. Their hope is in Jesus, even though they can't see him physically. When's the last time you had a joy in Jesus that struck you so deep that you couldn't even put it into words? When's the last time that you went through a trial and you began to see that your hope in Jesus, your faith in Jesus is the only thing that lasts, that everything else may go, that the trials may come, but Jesus stays? When's the last time that you recognize that, that you opened up your eyes to see that, to see his great mercy that caused you to be born again to this living hope? When's the last time that you looked at that honestly and you had a joy that welled up within you that was so deep that you couldn't even express it? Listen, in the valley in Phoenix, church can sometimes be a hobby. It can just be something we do. It, it can be something we talk about. It can be a shirt that we wear. But that's not what you see in Scripture ever. You see a joy that's inexpressible, that's beyond words. And listen, we need to ask, if we're not experiencing that, what is our hope in? What are we fixing our eyes on? In verse 9, it says, they're looking forward to the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls. That so many times we're looking right in front of us. Listen, we need to look beyond that. We need to see as Christ followers that Jesus is alive, that he's coming back again, that he will bring salvation. And that changes everything. That changes our trial, that in the end we can greatly rejoice, not in the trial, but in the result of the trial. There's a friend of mine a few years back who was going through an intensely difficult trial in his marriage. And I began to meet with him. His marriage almost destructed. I mean, it almost didn't make it. And we began to meet and walk through Scripture and walk through this circumstance together. And as we would meet, it was one of those times where as you would talk to him, he wouldn't always be crying, but it was always behind the surface. Have you talked to those people? Have you been one of those people? You're just going through an immense trial in your life, and it's always behind the surface because there's so much physical, emotional, spiritual pain and trial in your life. As I began to talk with my friend, we began to look at marriage and look what God does and how he heals, even in the worst of circumstances. And God began to work through that trial. And listen, if you talk to this guy, and other people would, and they would be amazed of like, did he just go through that? Because it doesn't seem like it. And as I would talk to him, I would say, man, do you see, do you see that in your life? Do you see this kind of Joy you have, how it's affecting other people, giving their, them hope in the midst of their trial. And he would just talk about this joy, this joy that wells up in him, that he is a different person today than he was before this trial. That his marriage, the way he interacted with his wife, and even still to this day, it didn't just last a couple months, still to this day, four years later as we talked to them, man, they are some of the most inspiring 
faith-filled, joy-filled people we know. How does that happen? Because as God allows a trial into your life, over time, he shows you the joy you can have in him, the faith you can have in him, and that it's inexpressible, and that it forms you in a way that you couldn't be formed without it. So what's the big deal about hope? It changes our present suffering. The last point is that it's been the plan from the beginning. We don't have time to give this justice, but just bear with me. Verses 10 through 12, Peter says the Old Testament prophets prophesied this salvation that they're experiencing, this grace that they're experiencing, that it would come through a Messiah, it would come through Jesus. That this was God's plan even in the Old Testament. As we look at the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah that we can unpack, and you should go look at them. That God wasn't shocked because of our trial. That from the beginning, he had a rescue plan to send Jesus Christ, to invade our suffering and to bring hope in the midst of it. That the Old Testament prophets proclaimed this, and they pointed to a hope in Jesus. Verse 12, he says they weren't serving themselves but you. They weren't serving themselves. Like it wasn't a pyramid scheme where they grabbed 10 people who would grab 10 people who would grab 10 people who would advance this message, where they got kickbacks, right? It wasn't that. If you read the Old Testament prophets, it wasn't that. They suffered a lot to proclaim this hope that we would have in a coming Messiah that the people Peter is writing to, they get to experience, that they served them, that they served us by proclaiming one that would come, who would bring salvation, who would bring grace. And that's what Peter is alluding to. It's so amazing that even the angels are amazed, that it's such good news that they long to look into these things, this salvation that you and I get to experience. As we talk about that big idea as we learn a lot about hope, I want us to, to take away a couple points of application this morning. It's a lot. Honestly, you need to go back and read this. You need to ask questions, wrestle with this in your group, with friends, with family. There's a lot in here. But I want to just bring it down to two simple points that we can walk away with this morning. We can apply to our lives. The first one is this, that we would realize, that you would realize there's more happening than just the trial. That you would get perspective that you would see there's a bigger picture even in the midst of your pain, that you would get perspective. As we look at this this morning, you would think outside the box of your trial. You would see the future hope that you have in Jesus, that we have a risen Savior. He's alive. We have a living hope. We have a salvation kept in heaven. It's secure. If you know Jesus, this is true for you. That that means whatever is happening to you won't break you, that it might beat you up but it won't break you, that you would see that bigger picture. You would realize there's a, a bigger story taking place that goes beyond your trial. You would be intentional about seeing that this morning. Some of you think, well, that's hard. I mean, it's hard to see that in your trial. It's hard to see that in your suffering. Maybe some of you are thinking, it's just hard to see that in my life. Listen, you need to get around other people. You need to be intentional about Scripture, about putting yourself in environments where people help you see this picture. You can't see it in isolation. You won't see it in isolation. You see it all the time. People drift from God in trials. We need to do the opposite. We need to run to God. 
That's why we want you to be here on Sundays as we look at this book, because it's so important to see this big picture, this hope. That's why we want you to join a community group and be reminded over and over again as you go on Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, you have this hope. It is for you, even in the midst of your trial. That as you see that, the second thing that you would rejoice, the key distinction there is that you would rejoice not over your trial, but over the result of your trial. That you would find ways to tell God, to thank God, to tell others that even in the midst of this, just like my friend would do, that even in the midst of this trial, that I have a joy. You will be surprised how that influences and impacts others for the glory of God. That we would find ways to rejoice that we're his forever, no matter the circumstance. That the pain of our present pales in comparison to the provision in our future. That we have a reason to rejoice. To sing, yes. To talk about it, yes. To ponder it, yes. We have a reason to rejoice. You need to practice that. Put it in practice today. Don't wait till the trial is over. Rejoice over the, over the result of the trial that you know is coming. We can rejoice that in Jesus we have a future hope that changes our present suffering and was the plan from the beginning. If you know the hope of Jesus, if you know that he's alive, that he resurrected, that he's coming again, this is your hope. This is your reality. If you don't know Jesus, this can be your reality today. This is available to you today. And some of you are already thinking, well, I've gone too far. I've waited too long. The trial's too big. Listen, just look at the author of this book, Peter. If you know the story of Peter, Jesus goes to the cross to die. It was his darkest day. And in that moment, Peter fails him. He denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And some of us would think, three strikes, you're out. But not with God. Jesus rises from the dead. He comes back. He indwells Peter with his Holy Spirit. And Peter, in the book of Acts, preaches this gospel message. And over 3,000 people believe that Peter goes on to lead the early church, that he writes two books of our New Testament. If you're thinking that you've blown it, that you're too far beyond this hope, look at Peter. Listen, it's why Peter starts off this section. It's why Peter can say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's why you can say this morning, if you know Jesus, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Father, I just, I pray that this would be real. I pray that as we say it's our reality, that it would be. God, even as we leave today, that we would begin to ponder what this hope looks like today. What this future hope, what this eternal hope, what this living hope does to our today. And if we can't see it, we'd get somebody else to help us see it. If we can't see it clearly, we would go back and look at this text. God, you have given us your very words. Not trite sayings, not a formula. You have given us your very words. You have given us the person of Jesus Christ. 
he's alive. And we have a hope in him. God, I pray that that would be true for every man and woman in this room before we leave today. And that we would celebrate, we would say with Peter, we would join with Peter and say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. God, help us ponder that. Help us celebrate you, the hope we have in you this morning. God, it's by your spirit, it's through your word, it's in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray.